Amen. Uh, one of the certainties we know in this time is that God is still the great I am. In fact, in this time when there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, there's two things that we can be certain of. And now one of those things is uh, that our world is going to look a little different uh, coming out of this time that we are in. Uh, that's just the reality. We can be certain of that. Uh, our way of life, our cultural context, uh, where people are in life, it's just going to look a little different. We know that. But even greater than that is the truth that God is still the great I am. He is still on the throne. And His reality transcends wherever we will find ourselves in our cultural context and coupled with that the truth of the gospel is greater than any place where we will find ourselves uh, and we can also be certain that we as a church we as individual Christians have still been given the mandate to take the gospel to all people Wherever they are, wherever we end up in the midst of this, that is a certainty. We have the, the biblical uh, mandate to take the gospel wherever people are, wherever they find themselves. Uh, one of the beautiful things about the gospel that we can trust in, in the midst of all of this, in uncertain times is that the gospel meets people where they are uh, at the start of the year we started talking about a vision for the days ahead vision 2020 and our directional statement is this that we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ his church and his cause. Uh, the visual uh, that is before us in that vision is of a ripple effect. Of You have this epicenter where the gospel makes an impact on my life and on your life and then that gospel impact radiates outward. Uh, in fact the God-given goal I believe before us as Huntington First Baptist Church is that the gospel would so make an impact on our life and there would be such a ripple effect that uh, all 8,000 people in Huntington, Texas and even beyond that would have a relational connection to the gospel. That the gospel uh, would meet them where they are. My prayer for the days ahead is that the gospel would be the dominant reality in our lives and that we would be so passionate for people that we would creatively connect with people wherever we find them whatever our cultural context ends up being through this experience uh, this Sunday I want to make a pivot and I want to pivot from where we have been 
to where we are going. We have talked for a number of weeks about uh, what is it that God wants to teach us in the midst of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. Uh, but today, I want us to begin to move forward and talk about where we are going. Now, next Sunday, most of you have heard, we will be uh, regathering in the sanctuary on Sunday morning for worship. We will uh, start again in-person worship. We will also have our live stream, so you'll be able to uh, connect with us if you are not with us in person, and that's going to be a personal choice that you make. Um, there's a couple things I want you to know about next Sunday, is that we will meet at 11 o'clock, and I know some of you may laugh about this, but my commitment is we're going to be through by 12 o'clock. So the service is going to be a little bit condensed. In fact, it's going to be formatted like we've been doing these last uh, 10 weeks. Uh, our commitment is that we will provide a safe environment for you to come and worship. So we'll be doing some things, uh, or there'll be some things we won't be doing. We'll, we'll, we'll prop open doors so you don't have to touch uh, doorknobs. Uh, we, will, uh, we won't be passing the offering plate. We won't be having a welcome time where we shake hands and hug as we normally would. Uh, we're not going to have a, a, a traditional invitation at the end of our service uh, like we would normally do. Uh, so there'll be some precautions that we take. We also want to make that uh, worship experience family friendly. Uh, we're asking you, if you feel comfortable, that you come with your family and you sit with your family. Obviously, we're going to be practicing some social distancing. Uh, but that's going to be something we're going to ask you to take personal responsibility for. We're not going to be policing that. Uh, but we want to make it as family friendly as possible. And uh, Man, we're just going to make the announcement. You know what, we have kids that maybe aren't used to being in church. That's partly the reason we're keeping it shorter. Uh, we're going to provide some materials for your kids to have maybe some activities to do, uh, particularly during the sermon, if we're just being real honest. Um, but uh, we realize that you may have to get up with your kids. Uh, we're going to provide a TV monitor in the foyer and maybe some seating out there. If you'd like to sit out there, if you have to get up at some point and go outside, we just understand this is going to be family worship. And so that's next Sunday. I'm really looking forward to that. It'll be 11 o'clock. We ought to be through by 12. And we're excited to uh, reconvene for in-person worship, but also know that we will also have our online worship. Uh, if you're not quite ready, then you're going to be able to still connect with us in that way. Next Sunday, I'm going to start a new sermon series. I'm kind of setting it up with my sermon this morning, but next Sunday, I'm going to start a sermon series called The Overcomers. And uh, this last 40 weeks, I've been meeting with a group of men in my D group, and we've been going through the Bible. And uh, last week, we came to um, the book of Revelation. And obviously, it's a book I've, I've read and I've preached through, but I kept seeing this phrase that as Jesus describes the redeemed, he talks about those who overcome, those who overcome, 
those who overcome. And you get this picture at the end of the book of Revelation of all the overcomers are gathered there in heaven. And I just began to uh, think about in my mind and picture this of that, that gathering of overcomers and the stories that will be told of how they overcame. And uh, I want to trace some of those stories from the Bible starting next Sunday. Uh, the, the stories, the testimonies of those who overcame. And the stories they could tell of how Jesus uh, gave them the power to overcome. Whether that was their past, whether that was some character flaw, whether it was some circumstance in their life. And so I want you to be looking forward to that. Next Sunday we'll start looking at those stories of the overcomers and talk about how Jesus wants to do the same in our life to be overcomers. Uh, this morning I want to set up that as we begin to pivot towards the days ahead and I want to look uh, at the Apostle Paul this morning as the illustration of what I've already talked about and what I see in the Apostle Paul and I believe you'll see this morning in the scripture is that the gospel was so dominant in his life and he was so passionate for people that he creatively connected with people wherever he found them. The reality, the dominant reality in Paul's life was the gospel. He had this incredible passion to reach people with the gospel and he was willing to do whatever it took for him to connect those people wherever they were with the power of the gospel. He expresses this uh, in, in some amazing scripture. He writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He expresses uh, what I've just expressed to you. Uh, and I love this. But in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who were under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who were under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. And then he says this, verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some for the gospel's sake. 
What an incredible statement. Becoming all things to all men that by all means we might win some for the gospel's sake. Um, looking at the book of Acts and other things that Paul writes, uh, I believe that Paul visualizes different groups of people. He talks about the Jews. And he talks about those who are under the law and those who are not under the law. And he talks about the weak. And just from what I know, and we're going to read this in just a second, uh, from Paul's ministry as he was a missionary going out, uh, I, I think he, he had in mind some groups of people. And there were the Jews that were under God's law, and they found that law in the written Scripture. But he also encountered Greeks who maybe weren't under the Jewish law, but they were under their own religious, philosophical world view, certain laws, we might say, in their own minds of their own religion. But then I think there were also people that he describes without the law, and, and people that were the weak, that I, I would just say they were the pagans who had no moral system of belief. They were just living life. And Paul said, I became all things to all of those people that I might win some for the gospel's sake. Paul not only expresses that, but he lives that out. Uh, and I think it's so incredibly uh, illustrated by um, his missionary work in the two cities of Athens and Corinth uh, in Greece. Now, in Acts 17, Luke records that Paul comes to Athens. I want you to understand the identity of that ancient city. Uh, it is and it had been for about five centuries. It was the center of culture and philosophy. That was the identity of Athens. And uh, Paul quite honestly gets run out of Berea and he ends up by himself in Athens. And Luke records in Acts 17 of how he first went to the synagogue, but there's not really much re written there, but he reasoned from the scripture with the Jewish people there and some other Greeks that were there. And then it says that he, he was also in the marketplace. And so Paul went to the synagogue and he reasoned from the scriptures. But then he also went to the marketplace and he engages people with the gospel. And I don't know exactly what that gospel presentation would have been, but it would have been a little bit different than what he was speaking uh, within the synagogue of the Jews. And as he's in the marketplace, <laughs> this incredible story, if he encounters these philosophers, they go, hey buddy, what are you talking about? And Paul is brought before the, uh, the powers that be in the philosophical <laughs> uh, center uh, of the ancient world, Athens, a place called the Areopagus, Mars Hill. And uh, I want you to notice in Acts 17, starting in verse 22, Paul's, uh, the way he presents the gospel or attempts to get into the gospel to get them to Jesus. And, and I want to read it. It's a little bit long, uh, but I want you to hear this. And so it says in, 
in Acts 17 verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar to this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. And then he starts this creative, philosophical uh, lead up to the gospel to get them to Jesus. Uh, and he says in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring therefore since we are the offspring of God we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devisings, devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And at that point, Paul is getting to Jesus. Uh, but notice what happens in verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. They shut him down. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. And then Luke records kind of the end. He says, so Paul de departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed among them Dionysius, the Areopagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. And so Paul, this is his presentation, or attempt of the presentation of the gospel in that very unique setting of Athens. But Paul leaves Athens and he goes to the second leading city of, of Greece. Would have been about a day's, two days journey. The city of Corinth. Corinth is completely different than Athens. Athens is the center of culture and philosophy. Corinth is the center of commerce. And in turn, because of the wealth that came there, it is the center of immorality. Well, let's just be honest. It was the Las Vegas of Paul's day. Uh, and it says in Acts 18 verse 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. Now, this is a completely different 
cultural context for Paul. Let's pick up the story in verse 4 and see what it is that Paul does to engage the people with the gospel. So it says in verse 4 of Acts 18, this is Corinth, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, uh, which means Jesus is the Messiah. He would have argued from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah of the Old Testament that was prophesied of in the Old Testament. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garment and said to them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. So in Corinth, in the city of commerce and immorality, Paul goes and he starts with the Jews in the synagogue and he, he reasons from the Old Testament scriptures about Jesus being the, the Messiah uh, that was prophesied of. But then when they run him off, he goes to a more, a more secular uh, context of quite honestly would have been probably some non-religious kinds of people and probably the people that were involved in immorality. And I say that partly because of what he says later when he writes back to the Corinthians. Even what I said earlier when uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 9 he talks about those different groups whether it was the Jews who had the law or the Greeks who were without the law, without the Jewish law that had their own religious philosophical worldview, or it was the pagans who were the weak without the law who had no moral system of belief. And I think that was in Paul's mind when he writes back to the Corinthians and he says this in a different way. And I want to end with this, the last scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So after he's been to Athens and he's been to Corinth and he's planted the gospel and he connected with people wherever they were, he writes back to the Corinthians and I think he has this in mind. And so yes, we've already read 1 Corinthians 9 where he, he said, I became all things to all men that I might win some by all means for the gospel's sake. But at the start of Corinthians... This is what he says about the gospel. And I think he has those groups in mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Classic scripture. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then he says in verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? And I'm, I'm just telling you, 
from all that I know from Acts and later in Corinth, Corinthians, I believe Paul has these different groups. When he says, where is the wise? Where is the man that I've encountered that comes to me? And his, his starting point is this philosophical understanding of the world. And he, he is the wise. He says, where is the scribe? Obviously a, an allusion to those Old Testament Jewish scholars who would have looked to the scriptures as their starting point. It was their basis of life. But then he also says, where is the disputer of this age? <laughs> it's almost, I get this picture of this guy who's just out there in, in the secular world and just, he has his own take on life. He's just, he's just doing his own thing. You know, he sees life in the way he sees life and he, he's just the disputer of this age. This is the way I see life. This is the truth that I'm living in. I'm doing my own thing. And I think he would have encountered a lot of people like that in Corinth. So he says in verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Wherever you're coming from. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. Here it is, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul said, wherever you're coming from, there's only one message. And that is the message of the gospel which is the dominant reality in whatever cultural context anyone finds themselves in. And it is that Christ is crucified. It is the simple message of the cross. And the gospel is this, that there is only one way to God. And it is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ the simple message of the cross, whether you are a Jew, whether you are a Greek, whether you are a pagan doing your own thing, is that the only way to get to God is through what God did in providing the way to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to know, that there's only one way to God and it is through Jesus. But I also want you to understand is that people have different starting points. <laughs> in their roads to get to Jesus. There's only one way to God. But there's many starting points for people to get to Jesus. And the beauty of the gospel is that the gospel meets people where they are. Whether they have their own religion, whether they are have a religion of a moral law, whether they have their own religion within themselves. You know, the same is true for us today. And 
one of the uncertainties that I said coming out of this is our, our world is, has changed somewhat. People have changed. The way we live has changed. But the gospel has not changed. And it is the dominant reality. But here it is, church. We must meet people where they are at their starting points with the gospel and bring them to Jesus. My prayer is that the gospel would be the dominant reality of our lives and that we would be so passionate for people that we would creatively connect with people wherever they are, wherever we find them, because the gospel meets people where they are. My challenge to you as a church uh, is this, that we would meet people wherever we find them, wherever they are, with the gospel. I want you to know as a church that we cannot dictate our cultural context. We're not in control of where this all ends up. We know it's going to be different. But you know, that's, that's, that's not the main thing. Because the dominant reality is the gospel. And we must be passionate about connecting people to the gospel wherever we find them, wherever they are. My other challenge is to you as an individual, wherever you are, Wherever you're coming from, whatever your starting point is, the gospel meets you there. Jesus meets you there. He is the only way of salvation. He is the only way to get to God. That is the gospel message. And you can find life in the only true life in the midst of uncertain times. The one thing you can count on is that God has not changed and he still sits on the throne and Jesus and the gospel can meet you right where you are and it'll be the greatest reality that you can ever live. And this morning I want to close in prayer and I want you to know that uh, if you're watching and you need someone to pray with you, you need someone to talk with you, you need someone to help you cross the line of faith, to believe in Jesus, wherever your starting point is. Uh, we're here for you. Uh, you can reach out to me. You can call me right now. I'm available. Uh, if you're a woman and you would like to talk with, with a lady, Cricket is also available. Uh, you can reach out to us through our email, however, through Facebook. Uh, we would love the opportunity just to talk with you or simply just pray with you about what God is doing in your life. And so uh, I want to challenge you to do that. And, and let me pray this morning as we close. Father, today we thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you that Jesus loved us so much that he died for us on the cross, not just for some of us, but all of us, that all of us might have the opportunity, uh, Father, to have a relationship with the eternal God of the universe. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in our midst. And, Father, as the gospel has impacted our lives, that, Father, we might take that message out uh, passionately 
to wherever people are. Uh, that, Father, the, the gospel might transform even our cultural context that we find ourselves in. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you for this time, and we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.